your crime. Properly Howard, a podcast that covers classic film and other Pulp Fiction. This week we revisit The Departed, which is Martin Scorsese's remake of Infernal Affairs. This is a movie with a lot of problems, uh, laughably bad at times, but I cannot get enough of this movie. Make sure that you check out thelorehounds.com for all of the quality programming that David and John and Marilyn and Alicia are doing. Next week, we'll be covering the Nick Cage remake of The Wicker Man, so you can prep for that. And as promised at the end of this podcast, Steve and I discuss his properly Howard-themed tattoo. Without further ado, here is stand-up comic Steve Osborne. My story's not anywhere near as interesting as yours, but uh, I recently got my first tattoo. Is that right? Yeah, it's because my daughter is uh, an artist, and she got herself a tattoo kit. Is she really? Very rudimentary, yeah. And she it's just a simple ink and needle kit. That's... It's as close to getting a tattoo in jail as you can possibly <laughs> now, is it, get. Is it, is it good enough to be like, yeah, this is permanent? It's permanent, all right, and it hurts like hell. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you get it? It was on my right shoulder. Where's yours? Left shoulder. Left shoulder, all right. So I thought, you know, she was like, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start practicing on myself. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want your first tattoo to be on me. Wow. And because I th- I was always thinking about a tattoo, of course, I'm always pretty cheap when it comes to these things. And I thought, freeze, freeze a good price. I thought, I'm just going to get something really simple. I got myself a little heart. That's, uh, you know, about two inch by two inch heart uh, with a little arrow through it with an S in the middle. For me? Well, <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to spoil things. <laughs> it, it It is an homage to Steve and my wife, Sarah. And Superman. So yes. those are the three. <laughs> so depending on who you're with. So, yeah. And I just thought for my first tattoo, I want to feel like I'm in jail. <laughs> and it hurt. It hurt. Like the certain certain jabs hurt more than others. And of course, you have to understand my, my daughter is a good artist, but she's never poked needles into people. Right. Before. So she doesn't have that deft touch quite yet. Probably not yet. And of course, once you get good at tattooing, you've got better equipment, right? Right. For sure. Uh, so anyway, it was it was an experience. It didn't last 10 and a half hours, though. I'll say that much. It's, it's a pretty simple tattoo. Uh, but I think that maybe for the second tattoo, you know, maybe it'll be it'll be a different experience. I love the idea that you just like. People are like, so what do these tattoos signify? Oh, rough draft. <laughs> so, yeah, I was thinking about uh about filling, you know, making it a little bit more detailed than what it is right now. Gotcha. Well, that's great. Look at us, huh? Yeah, yeah. We didn't even coordinate this. I know that's pretty that's pretty impressive because you didn't know I was getting one. You had mentioned a a month ago or so, like I'm thinking about 
maybe a tattoo or here or there, but the 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 entire trip to Boston was a a big surprise. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, it was. It, it, timing was not great because uh, I have so much other stuff going on. I like I was sandwiched in between gigs and uh, just meant like not being home as much as I would have liked to have been. But uh, the trip was fantastic. Salem, like when you get into like the town, it's like a lot of it's like kind of one lane roads. Um, it's and mm-hmm. it's super touristy, so it's not really. It's made more for walking at that point. Um, I really like it. I mean, it's they certainly lean into uh, witch, the witches. Yeah, the yeah. witch theme. People are super nice. This is my first time ever in that area. Mm-hmm. So the act, so everything seemed fake, right? Like my only um, interaction or uh, you know awareness of of East Coast or like Boston area type stuff is through like like film and television, right? So. Mm-hmm. So these accents I, are not accents I really encounter and like all the architecture, like I'm like, ah, this kind of feels fake, even though it's like authentically old, but because, yeah. because it all oh, like, ah. like in Disneyland or something. Yeah. 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 So listening to people uh, like just the music, uh, the locals, their, of their speech was intoxicating, especially when it was just like at its absolute fevered pitch. Like California people tend to, uh, low talk at a table like in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Man, not not in Salem or Boston area. I'm not talking to her. I love that. That was my favorite. <laughs> my favorite so, when she picked up her phone and looked at her at her text. Oh, just that. So one of my favorite Boston experiences is uh, this is a few years back, and I go into a bar. It's just this bar is just packed. I, I'm at the edge of the bar, and I I just want a beer. And finally, the the bartender I get I get the bartender's uh, attention. She comes over, and she says, "What do you have, hun?" Mm. I, I don't know. There's something to be about being called hun that doesn't work unless there's an accent, right? Right. So I kind of went a little Northern California on her without knowing it. What I said was, "Uh, yeah, could I get a?" Uh... And she immediately mocked me. Well. we'll... Like my my voice went up. It was sort of like, "Hey, I want you to like me? Can you get me a beer?" You know that that kind of voice. It's like, "Oh yeah, can I get?" And she she immediately went, "Meh meh meh meh. Why you talk like that?" Oh my gosh, yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking like, wait, I'm here to pay money to you to buy me a beer. I I don't want to be made fun of because I'm a little bit feminine. <laughs> oh man, that's how everybody was. There was kind of this like. Like, what's the matter with you? <laughs> like, that, that was it. It was, what's the matter with you? Why are you gay? Right. And I'm thinking, oh, but I, but I think it's okay to be gay. Right. And that's, and it's funny because that's, that's what, like, they say that all the time. Like, I had a boss from uh, uh, Danvers and uh, she would say things were gay. And we're like, you can't, you can't do that. And she's like, I don't mean like gay. I mean like, it's bad. I'm like, I, that's our point. Like that's, <laughs> there's an, do, do you see a problem? There, here there, there's an equivalency that you're drawing from that's like, Oh, Oh my gosh. And she just was so like, she just, it was just not it's just exasperated. Yeah. Like, exasperated. You don't know what I mean. I'm not homophobic. I just think that I just think things that... that are bad. You should call gay. <laughs> right. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Well, like, can we just maybe use this as an opportunity? <laughs> it, it's almost like you, if you're not hyper masculine in this culture, 
you get mocked. Oh, yeah. Like, it would not take me very long to put on a Southie accent. If I, you know, give me a month. Right. If I lived there a month, I would go full Goodwill hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I start thinking, like, whenever I go visit a place and I have a good time, like, could I live here? Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know. Like, I mean, I think I think I could cert I, I probably could. And like I said, the people were like, even when they're mocking you, it felt uh like like a it was like already a friendly mocking, you know what I mean? Um, so there's something about that that was uh was kind of fun and uh and just made me feel at home. Yeah, they're just busting balls. They're just busting balls. Well, I think we should probably talk about the departed. The departed. So there's a lot of ways we could get into this, but I think I'll just start this conversation by saying that this is the craziest Jack has ever been in a movie. He's so insane in this movie and I can't take my eyes off it. it, it this guy is just, he's clownishly insane. And it's almost like I'm going to be half Satan and half clown in this movie. Hey, cops are saying he's a cop so I won't look for the cop and you saw Fitz when I tell you to dump a body in the marsh you dump him in the marsh not where some guy from John Hancock goes every Thursday to get a fucking blowjob don't laugh this ain't reality TV and I love it I'm just in for it. <laughs> I'm I'm just just I would just love to watch this guy be this insane for two and a half hours as many times as I'm allowed to do it. So, <laughs> I mean, of course, you know, DiCaprio is great and and, you know, Damon's great or whatever. There's a lot of interesting performances. There's a lot of overacting in this movie. Um, you know, we could talk about the accents or whatever. But. I just think that Jack is mesmerizing in this film. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's sort of a guilty pleasure for me anyway. Interesting. Because um, you really like this movie. I like it. I mean, Sarah asked me this this morning. She's like, did you did you like that one? I, you know what? I really do. And I know other people don't. I know that there's a lot of people who just can't stand this movie. I can't get enough. I definitely liked it more the second the second time I watched it. Like the first time I was kind of like, all right, whatever. And I don't know. It must have, you know, there's context, right? Like who knows when, like, well, like when, if I was in the right headspace, sure. distracted, um, you know, trying to keep up a little bit with like who's what. And, and like, and I think if you, if you don't immediately catch, you know, who's working for what it's not that confusing but if you don't catch it right away like you could be you have one of those like okay so wait a minute who's what who's doing what now um my feeling with scorsese is that he's a hit or miss director for me mm -hmm. like there are some of his movies that i adore and will watch uh, over like last temptation of christ yeah yeah sure why not um there are some movies that i can't stand like i i'm just not into taxi driver i'm not into the aviator there are certain movies that he does that I feel like are just misses. Whenever I go into a Scorsese movie, I think this could easily be the color of money or Goodfellas, or it could be something else that I don't really enjoy very much. So it's almost like because he does have a spotty record 
I'm never really hyped up for a Scorsese movie. Whereas I think a lot of people walked into this movie thinking, well, he's one of our great directors. I can't wait to watch The Wolf of Wall Street again or something like that. Right, right. Anyway, that is my feeling about Scorsese. And I feel like he hits more than he misses. He Probably also because he hits big, right? Right. Yeah. If if he hits big, it'll be in Oscar conversation. Well, yeah. And so if he hits big, if he hits big, it becomes like a cultural uh, touchstone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I mean, you may not like Taxi Driver, but it's it's part of culture. You know, I mean, quotes and yeah, you you are not going to get through film school and not watch Taxi Driver. Right. So it's like so the impact that like so. So if he misses, you kind of move past it. But if he hits, it's uh, it's yeah, it it makes a difference. But this might be one of those like he wins his Oscar finally, right? Because that was the big thing, right? Like he doesn't, like he he wasn't he just didn't win Oscars, and uh, and so I think this one has a certain uh, I don't want to say a stink to it, but there is this feeling like, well, they felt like who knows how many Oscar you know worthy films he's got left. And you'd hate to miss out, right, on giving him one. Well, he's one of the... All right, so that's that's a good point. It's like he's one of the great American directors. You've got at least 100 movies that are copying his style. He, You know, if, if you come up with a list of, you know, the top 100 movies, he's got at least three in there. And he's never won an Oscar. And so even though this one is necessary... I mean... Is it even in his top 10? I don't know. Right. It's a good question. But you, you start to think, well, maybe maybe we give him the Oscar. And maybe it was a poor year for Oscar, you know, for maybe movies or whatever. But it kind of helps to have the star power. It's like if, if Leo is going to be in a movie, it's going to get attention. Right. right. And then, then you add all those actors around him. You can kind of create a recipe for Oscar buzz. Uh, I'm looking at the other uh, nominated movies that year, and there was uh, Babel, Letters from Iwo Jima, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Queen. Yeah, some good movies in there. Not, yeah, but, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like say like, oh, the, geez, going think, up yeah. against. I mean, Little Miss yeah. Sunshine, I think is pretty great. It's pretty great. It's it's sort of an atypical movie to win Best Picture. Right. That seems like a Best Supporting Actor uh, kind of flick. Pan's Labyrinth was in the same year. So, yeah. And how many of those movies had Damon and DiCaprio and uh, Nicholson and right. Martin Sheen's in this movie? Right. Um, Alec Baldwin's in this movie. Can I just say that Mark Wahlberg, it's it's funny. It's like he Mark Wahlberg has got to be like the 12th best actor in this film. <laughs> But I look forward to his scenes so much. Right. Our liaison to the undercover section. His undercover work is extensive. He's here to give us his report, Sergeant Dignam. Okay. My people are out there. They're like fucking Indians. You're not going to see them. You're not going to hear about them. Except through me or Captain Queenan. You will not ever know the identity of undercover people. Unfortunately, this shithole has more fucking leaks than the Iraqi Navy. Fuck yourself. I'm tired from fucking your wife. How's your mother? Good. She's tired from fucking my father. Do you have anyone in with Costello presently? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. He, he's just 
totally committed to this, well, to it, this role. It feels like he wasn't even cast. He just kept forced, like he was that character and forced his way on the set. <laughs> and Scorsese and everybody was like, I just, I'm really nervous I'm, to, to tell him to leave. <laughs> I love, I love Martin Sheen. Uh, I, I mean, I just, there's just so much to love about this about this movie it is not a per- it is not a perfect movie this movie has tons of flaws yeah it does but it and so here's and i think part of the reason why i liked it better this time is because i already kind of knew i was not I, I didn't wasn't crazy about it right like so here's the oscar winning scorsese film i'm thinking well he didn't win for goodfellas you know what i mean i mean obviously this didn't <laughs> go up against sure. it yeah whatever <laughs> This is going to be better than Goodfellas. Right. Or at least it's got to be on par, right? You think because if it's like, hey, maybe maybe Goodfellas didn't win because the movies were so superior. And by the way, they weren't. There's no way Dances with Wolves is better than Goodfellas. Um, <laughs> uh, kicking bird. <laughs> so with this, I'm like, so your expectations are pretty high. You look at these these actors and like you just talked about, like this cast is 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 amazing and so like i think i was like eh, this is fine so watching it this time I, I i really enjoyed it i actually really really enjoyed it and maybe even because of the flaws because i was like oh this like i kind of took all the scorsese-ness away from it and just mm-hmm. and just watched it and go look look at these actors just chewing up the boston scenery and some of them nailing the accents and some clearly not. <laughs> um, I, the, the accents are all over the place in this movie. I mean, for, for some people that will ruin it. Sure. But for me, I kind of feel like if it's Jack, I kind of want to see Jack be Jack. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if it's Gary Oldman, I kind of want to see, I want to see, I want to see him disappear into that part. That's kind of why I love Gary Oldman. But if it's Jack, I kind of feel like just be just be Jack. You've made a pretty good career, you know, by being <laughs> that guy. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't know. The accents didn't ruin anything. It'd be weird to cast Jack Nicholson because you want him to disappear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I really want to do a bunch of rat noises. Of course you do. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to act like a rat? I, I love the idea of Scorsese going to Jack and saying, like, I know you're semi-retired, but you know how, like, sometimes you're the devil in movies and sometimes you're just crazy in movies. I'd like to do a movie where you're both. <laughs> Can I bring my own dildo? That that, that was an improv- <laughs> was an improvisation. That was his idea. He brought he brought his own dildo. It was a joke you just made, but it really happened. Yeah, I know. That was not written. It was not written into the script. That was his idea. Yeah. Which seems like it might be a problem. <laughs> might be a problem. The very fact that like <laughs> like did he go and purchase it? Did he have one of his like assistants go get it? Was it already on his person? I just watched the original Infernal Affairs, and I think that the one the <laughs> one thing that's missing. One thing that that culture doesn't have the courage to do. <laughs> what we do in this country. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. It really adds a little 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 spice, a little cumin to this uh to this mix. 
So I watched this movie about a week ago again, and then I watched Infernal Affairs for the first time, the movie upon which this film is based. And then I rewatched The Departed again after that film. The original is a, a decent movie. Uh, it is all in subtitles, um, uh, created against the backdrop of Hong Kong instead of Boston. But still all Boston accents, which I think is an interesting choice. <laughs> um, and I mean, aside from sort of setting it in Boston and having some of our great actors play the parts, a lot of the plot points parallel. The ending is a little different. Uh, I won't say more than that for people that want to see the original. But there was one thing about that Hong Kong movie that helped explain this movie to me. And it is that it ends with a quote from the Buddha. And I'll read it to you. So after the final scene of Infernal Affairs, you see against black, you see this text. He who is in continuous hell never dies. Longevity is a great hardship in continuous hell. Um, so I, I'd never heard that quote before and it's almost to say that yeah, you don't uh, get that one in a fortune cookie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is the difference between, uh, Buddhism in, in San Francisco and Buddhism in Hong Kong, I suppose I came to the realization that I knew that Scorsese has been quoted a lot about the fact that he feels like he's going to hell. Mm. Have you seen any of this? No. Okay, he's quoted a lot about his, you know him talking about his Catholicism. So he's very religious in terms of his worldview, but he himself feels like he's going to hell. And my feeling is, what I realized is, that's what made that Infernal Affairs interesting to him. He really is exploring the concept of the longevity of someone who's living through hell. And I kind of feel like this explains a lot of his movies. This is a man who's preoccupied with hell and who believes that he himself is going to hell. He's going to make movies over and over and over about people going to hell. I mean, you could name off a dozen movies. You know, th this is a slow descent into depravity of, the, of this one kind of character. And, you know, Wolf of Wall Street or Goodfellas or what, you know, Taxi Driver. Raging Bull. Yeah, Raging Bull. There you go. These are all people going to hell. And I feel like that's what this is. This is this is sort of in Boston. This movie set in Boston, but really it's set in continuous hell. These are people either by way of making the wrong choices consciously or, you know, trying to do the right thing, but end up, you know, fouling it up. These are all people on their way to hell. And if you watch the movie against that backdrop. Well, and that's, and that's, yeah, DiCaprio's character is, is damned, right? Like that's. Everyone in this movie is damned. And in other words, if it, it you know, if you don't want to say the departed, this movie could be called the damned. Right. Um, And, you know, you look at Leonardo that he, you know, but what does he want more than anything by the end of this film? He's like, I don't want this life i want my life back right i want my identity back i want my life back and if and you look at it, 
he, go ahead. There is no life to 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 be to be gained. No, this is your and, life. And if you look at Jack as a Satan character, it's like, what is the one thing that Satan can't do? The Satan cannot give life. Right. God can give life. Satan cannot give life. Satan's very powerful. You know, Satan has a lot of fun. Satan, you know, can do a lot of things, especially if he's living in Boston. But he cannot give you your life back. And I, th- I kind of feel like that's what Scorsese's filmography is all about. It's about his preoccupation with hell and the people who are going to hell. And I feel like that's that theme is in this movie more prominently than maybe any other movie he's done. That makes a lot of sense, too, just because this movie is so tangled. Like, every character is so tangled and um mm-hmm. and i don't even know what i'm rooting for you know you you do have this like well i i i wish better for this leonardo dicaprio character just almost on principle right not necessarily like we haven't really we he, we don't really establish him and i think he does a really interesting job well he's not a sociopath right matt damon's right. character is a sociopath right he is, but he also like, well, how much of that is, is this nature or nurture, right? I mean, he's, he gets caught up by, you know, if you want to, for lack of a better, or to, to follow your, your, your theme, he gets, he gets swallowed up by the devil at a young age, right? Absolutely. I mean, and so and the thesis of the movie, I mean, they tell you the thesis in the first minute, the thesis is there's no difference between cops and criminals, right? Right. And so he which gets essentially caught up. is which essentially is saying there is no difference between good and evil. Right. That's right. The the very first line of this movie was to say, you know, you know, we once had the church, which is, is just to say that we had each other. You know, that's kind of one of the first lines of the film. And so early on we establish Costello as, you know, he's like a heretic. He's a mob boss. He's a pervert. He's a racist. You know, this guy is Satan incarnate, basically. And how do you exist in that guy's orbit and not get dirty? And that's what happens to DiCaprio. And then the question is, can you ever really wash that dirt off you? Right. And I think Scorsese's view of this is, no, you can't. You got into this with the best of intentions, but you're damned like the rest of these guys. Like for me, that I, the uh, watching it a second time, looking at a Matt Damon character, yeah, as a sociopath, but like trying to find an opportunity to to see him as human, and they just he does it. Matt Damon is sneaky good because he He's, really, yeah. really pulls this off, and and this is a character sneaky good villainous actor, right? I mean, you. You know, he he's like one of, he, you know, he's Jason Bourne and he's Goodwill Hunting and all of this business. Yeah. He's kind of known for those roles, but I could come up with four or five movies where he's just a really great villain, too. Yeah. And and his, I mean, his villainy in this one really, um, he makes some really good choices uh, in this performance in that, like, he could have made him more sympathetic or he could have tried to, but he really just sort of plays it like. Like, honestly, like he, he's earnest in the sense of like, well, this is just what I do. Yeah. And and there is like there's just no moral conflict for him. 
great. But it's not done like over the top. It's just, it's super authentic. (laughs) And then when you get to the end, when, you know, he, he basically just gets rid of the devil. He's like, all right, well, I guess I'm, I'll just keep on doing it. I mean, he just doesn't stop. (laughs) It's just, it's. Well, he can't. Yeah. He's already chosen his path. He's already on the road to hell in, in sort of keeping with the, the one thing the devil can't do is create life. There is an impotency theme that's running through this. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, you know, it's like Jack doesn't have a son. And of course, Damon is impotent or he he's having, you know, problems in the bedroom. And she shows him the sonogram, but you're kind of not sure. Is is this really Damon's right. kid? We know this, right? And... Right, yeah. And he has so... almost no reaction, which I think is fascinating. <laughs> he doesn't feel anything. Right. He sort of cut off that part of his emotionality. You know, he he to feel something would mean that you're you've embraced a certain kind of life where if you're always pretending, and almost everyone in this movie is pretending something. Uh if you're always pretending, you never know which emotion is appropriate at that particular moment because you're you're thinking through all of the maneuvers. Right. And there's a fascinating part where like you know would um the you know costello's questioning dicaprio's uh costigan character and basically you know accusing him of, of being the rat hey you're the new guy um there's a lot of just lots lots of questions about you you left uh you know when we were getting all the lists of everybody's you know identification mm-hmm. and then he he's pushing back and saying you know like look all these people have been with you for a long time you know they they probably think that they could do it better and you start looking at this crew and you're like well this crew seems like they seem like like ideal lackeys except for one crew member and that's the crew member that's never there and that's sullivan right i mean like damon's character is really the one that like where 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 costello's this kind of erratic you know wild guy in many ways Sullivan could run that much more, you know, adeptly, you would think, right? Like, I mean, he, because like nobody would cross him. Because well, he, he's just as evil and murderous as Costello, but it hasn't driven his him crazy yet. Right. Yeah. But he, and, but he, and so it's like, so I, I, I like that. I, like, there's, there's such an undercurrent of who do you trust and the betrayal and it. And once you've created this world, what's like it does create what's the difference right mm-hmm. and that's so that theme of what's the difference goes all the way through um all the way through right because even even when Wahlberg gets his you know his his version of justice it, it it's still vigilante right i mean that's right it's not justice it, it's just he's I'm not just a, he's, cleaning he, up the garbage. Yeah, right? He's not operating as a cop. He's operating as as mm-hmm. himself. And then, it, right, then there, it, yeah. there really is no difference between uh, criminals and villains in this world, right? And then it just ends, right? And 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 then he goes off, and it's like, it's, it's like, well, okay, well, that's not like it, like it's solved, or at least in you know they're just gone. <laughs> but then, right. but there's no, and there's like no justice in that because there's no. There's no revelation. There's no, he's just, you know, there's no, well, now we know that he's, you know, it's been exposed. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is one of the nitpicks about this movie is that you could say 
Well, there's evidence that these guys are corrupt. Why didn't the psychiatrist character turn in this evidence? Yeah, that that's to me the biggest gap, right? Like it doesn't like, okay, so she gets the big reveal. You know, she discovers it and the punishment is we're breaking up. Right. And I think, I mean, the way that the only way I could make that work is that she is as she is as corrupt as everyone else in this movie. And but for her, it manifests as I don't want my child growing up thinking that his father is a criminal. So I'm going to. I'm going to kind of keep this under wraps so I can keep pretending keep the even keel or whatever because well, we've already established she is she's not above lying right. right in fact that that's a that's a key element of um you know her and DiCaprio's uh, uh dynamic right like that's mm-hmm. he allows her to embrace that part and that's where their relationship is sort of built on it's the idea of falsehoods how long have you been with this guy my boyfriend yeah What would you do if he was standing right there and he saw us? Huh? I would lie. Yeah, I would lie. You know, to keep things on an even keel, right? This movie, more than anything, does kind of show the the equal corruption of cops and robbers in a city like this. And, I, and a, a lot of movies have attempted to do this, but th- I feel like this is sort of my favorite depiction of that. And you've got a lot of symmetry in this movie. You know, you got one guy undercover for the the mob boss, and one guy undercover for the the police. And it, this this movie is all about the symmetry, right? You are the mirror of me, and you know there may be other movies that have attempted to do that with cops and criminals. This happens to be my favorite. Well, and I really, I thought it was really interesting too when you have this, this final interaction with the, the DiCaprio and Sullivan character. Um, he, you know, he's, I'm going to arrest you, but you're not a cop, you know, like, but you're, he's going to, he, he's, he's, that's him trying to get that identity back, right? right? I need the world to know that I'm not a bad guy. And when Martin Sheen's character dies, like th- that link to his uh, to to the identity he wishes he had is, is dies with it. Yeah, and yeah. and so it's just it's this like ever ever opening chasm that just keeps swallowing, <laughs> and he just can't claw his way out. So I've been doing a lot of research on uh, on stories. Like just what what to do with a story, how to make a character compelling. I'm reading this book called Story by Robert McKee. They, they use it in a lot of film classes. And um, oh, actually, no, that's not where I got this. I was listening to uh, another podcast with uh, Craig Mazin, who did the most recent Chernobyl films and uh, The Last of Us. Yeah, he yeah he was also he also did a lot, uh, Last of Us. He's got a, a podcast where he talks about screenwriting, and they were talking about the four F's, like what motivates every single person in the world. You know, if if you just boil it down, it comes down to the four F's. You're motivated by fight, flight, 
feeding or fornicating. You can boil down everything to those basic primary intentions. And I was thinking about that, this movie in, in those terms, I was thinking like, you know, just the most primary needs of humanity. If you can't procreate, you have a problem. Or if you're, you know, I guess uh, one thing that Mason said was uh, any movie is that's about drugs or addiction is kind of a movie about feeding, fighting. And, and, and of course, if you're trying to stay hidden, you're, you're fleeing. This movie does it really well with all of these primary motivations, fight, flight, feed, and fornicate. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's what, it's what makes a character compelling and boy, you got a, a ton of all of that in this film. That's all the interaction with with uh, DiCaprio and the, and the psychiatrist uh, character, right? I mean, you get it, you get it all in there. You also have that scene with Alec Baldwin. He's like, you know, it's good to be married because, uh, you know, people think you know, people don't think you're a weirdo, right? Right? Yeah, hit very, and uh, people, you know, women know that your cock works, and <laughs> you know, you look like you got a little bit of money in the bank. These are all sort of had had a sort of Pretend to be normal in Boston, right? <laughs> right? And of course, this is this is the problem. This is the problem for Damon's character. He's 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 got all of the problems, right? Like all like his his money's ill begotten. He's like not normal at all. He's leading a double life. You know, he's got all of the problems that make him kind of subhuman, right? Uh, in in from this particular worldview. Um, uh, Steve, who's this movie made for? It's a good question. I mean, it's like I, I think if we follow what you were talking about, I think this is Scorsese maybe initially makes this movie for himself. Yeah, maybe this is a movie just for Scorsese. Like the, this is like this is part of his. This is his penance. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I was thinking also for people who. I mean, this is a movie for sinners. This is for people who like are are depraved, and like to think about being depraved. Right, so, so this, it's it's funny, like because I know that uh, you've you've some of the issues that you've had, you know, with uh, with Scorsese films is that you, you've said it. you don't really you don't love the the portrait of of somebody spiraling out of control. Yeah, it's sort of a biopic, but it's a biopic of a of a person who is becoming more and more depraved or, or spiraling into insanity or something like that. Right. And and typically you get exhausted by that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think it can be done well. You know, I think Wolf of Wall Street is a great example. Like that's just a just a fascinating movie. You have to with Scorsese, you have to be resolved that at the end of this movie, there will be no redemption. Right. Which is just another way to say these characters are going to hell. Right. Um, but you know, you know, you sort of demythologize it a bit. But if you want a redemptive ending in a movie, do not go to Martin Scorsese. Right. And and do you prefer redemption? It depends on the movie. Like for I, I usually do prefer redemption. Like if you look at my top 10 list, they're usually mo- movies with happy endings. But this is a movie absolutely without. I mean, it, it may 
maybe the movie with the worst ending ever. So, <laughs> so I don't know. It, it, this I don't know if I this is in my top ten, but I really do like this movie. Yeah, so it's interesting how, but there's something I, like I find fascinating about you liking this movie as much as you do because of what I know about you. And uh, yeah, like this would be like up there if if Heather's like, yeah, this movie's like crazy sweaty, but I can't stop watching it. Sure, sure. Well, I do like Pulp Fiction. I think that Pulp Fiction is like it would be in the same algorithm, right? If you liked Wolf, if you liked uh, The Departed, you know, Netflix might also suggest to you Pulp Fiction or whatever. If it's done well, if the movie is done well and I'm entertained by it, then I, I'll absolutely forgive the ending. CF my Game of Thrones experience. You 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 could uh you could argue that that Pulp Fiction the Jules character is the closest uh we get to at least uh, the pursuit of redemption, right? Like we don't know if it resolves, but sure. but it it doesn't it certainly doesn't end in a way that says there's no redemption, right? So there is there's like this interesting glimmer of hope there and there's a lot more whimsy, right? Um I think you're right. That is a movie with certain elements at least enough redemption that you can imagine like well Jules is off walking the earth but of course the other interpretation is that is like without legal tender Jules has decided to be a bum (laughs) so it's sort of a it's in the eye of the beholder right you know but Butch Butch escapes Butch escapes and Zed is dead right this movie no one escapes everyone's everyone's departed uh, except for Mark Wahlberg, you don't get the sense that he's a very happy guy. You know, I I, I don't imagine that Mark Wahlberg goes home to a, a, a loving wife and children. Yeah. He's probably he's probably an asshole every in every single aspect of his life. Problem so. solved. All right, I can relax. This is this is a guy who yells about everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> this might be the most enjoyable. I mean, I do I enjoy Mark Wahlberg and the other guys. Um, but that might he's be more... pretty great in the other again yeah. <laughs> very similar character yeah. right right and i mean look, give Wahlberg credit right i mean he's he's made a, a fine acting career um but you look and you go this would be the outlier if there was going to be one but like what he what he does to this character feels pretty authentic you know for this for this film i love to see him juxtaposed with martin sheen who really is giving off this paternal all shucks vibe you know he's he's you know they call him a good catholic his kids going to notre dame you get the idea that this is this is the kind of guy you want looking after you but he's also but doing very nothing to stop he, this guy that's right the very fact that he's willing to tolerate the existence of mark Wahlberg's character has you wondering like is this guy really all that good Right. No, that and that's I think the beauty of, of that, right? He just it's like, is he ineffectual or is he really just like, no, no, this is how good cop, bad cop works, but it's sweetheart cop and just nightmare cop. I got a question. How fucked up are you? You a psychiatrist? Well, if I was, I'd ask you why you were steady making thirty grand a year, and I think if I was Sigmund fucking Freud, I wouldn't get an answer. So tell me, what's a lace curtain motherfucker like you doing in the Stadies? Families are always rising or falling in America, am I right? Who said that? Hawthorne. What's the matter, smartass? You don't know any fucking Shakespeare? We have a question. Do you want to be a cop? Or do you want to appear to be a cop? 
It's an honest question. A lot of guys want to appear to be cops. Gun, badge, pretend they're on TV. Do respect, sir. What do you want from me? Hey, asshole, he can't help you. I know what you are, okay? I know what you are and I know what you're not. I'm the best friend you have on the face of this earth and I'm going to help you understand something, you punk. You're no fucking cop. He's right. We deal in deception here. What we do not deal with is (laughs) self-deception. It's like kindly old uncle and the school bully happen to be best friends, right? (laughs) Love it. Fantastic. Genuinely, first time I saw it, genuinely surprised by Martin Sheen's exit. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, Martin Sheen, this guy who has been in some some of the all-time great films. He starred in some of the all-time great films. And in this film, he's happy to like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to play right field here. Yeah. Um I'm happy to bat ninth in this film. Okay. I'm happy to I'm happy to play second fiddle to Mark Wahlberg. Right. <laughs> if it means making a better movie. <laughs> Talk about a good Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is a very Catholic move to yield to Mark Wahlberg. So one tweak that you think would improve this movie? I think uh the psychiatrist character felt a little propish. Um. Yeah. Does, I, Scor- does Scorsese write women? That and so that was going to be well, my next uh, question because I'm looking and I'm like I feel like women are just sort of like they just sort of help move the men along a lot of times. I was just thinking of Color of Money. Remember how we loved? Uh, was it was her name Antonio Masterson? What was what was uh, that actress's name? Uh, Mary Elizabeth. Mary Elizabeth Molly Masterson Antonio McMuffin. <laughs> she was amazing in color of money yeah she was fantastic then deborah winger is is an interesting window into this and goodfellas but you're right he is he, he's really interested in men behaving badly right uh, in almost all of his movies uh so you're right that that character could have been because i think out. that because i i think if you if you flush her out more her her having the evidence and not doing anything with it we don't have to like do these sort of like you mm-hmm. know narrative gymnastics to make that make sense mm-hmm. uh, right. and and um because it's a it's an interesting dynamic between the three of them that like that she's sort of in the center of this as well but i just didn't really feel like she just felt like somebody who was gonna just spend most of the movie disappointed and well yeah, that's right. And she's a bridge, right? She functions literally as a bridge between these two characters to kind of show their symmetry in a different kind of way. They're both sleeping with the same woman. And and her role, you know, she, like I said, she almost feels a little bit reduced to a metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. Which I will get to because my biggest, biggest tweak, you know, is, you is know, the how metaphor. I, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's the rat at the end it's the rat at the end it doesn't bother me i don't know why it's, it's like sort of like okay rat is said like probably i don't know 47 to 100 times in this movie I, or acted out <laughs> yeah or acted out like <laughs> so that was a, that was a hard part watching the second time every time the word rat gets mentioned i just start mm-hmm. i get i got a little cringy i'm like it's coming why yeah. Why is there a rat? Why does there have to be a rat? Like, 
Like what? What is that moment? Like that is the moment where I, where Scorsese completely undercuts. It's like, what are you doing? Like, what? How does that help anything? Like, is there anybody going? Oh, there's that rat. Like what? <laughs> like it would have been better if the rat like turned to the camera and said something. <laughs> like at that point. Like if then it like the rat turns, the, the rat holds up a, a little sign that says "Jesus saves" or something at the end, right, or it says, or he just does the Buddhist quote. He says it. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's it's such a unbelievably unnecessary moment. Yeah. yeah, and it's like in my mind, it was longer because of how much I hated it. Uh, <laughs> So I was a little bit like little better with it because I'm like, all right, it's at least it's right like right there. And but it just I just, <laughs> for the life of me, somebody like, like I get it. I get it. You know, I it's a I, legitimate criticism. For some reason it doesn't ruin anything for me, but I I totally get it. My feeling is that he didn't know if we understood. <laughs> But that a rat is an animal. I was gonna and... tell you my. I was gonna tell you my tweak. Okay. Um. All rats. <laughs> it, 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 it basically secret of Nim. Uh... <laughs> I thought this movie was gonna be more about racial tension in Boston. Mm. He starts. You know, if you're going to drop the N-word in the first minute of a movie, you got to tell me that story. You want to hear it more? <laughs> well, I, I want I want you to earn it. I want you to be like, I don't want this to sort of be superficial. Oh, I see what you're saying. If you're going to do that at the beginning of a movie, this, this had better be a movie about race. You better be able to say something interesting that makes that character... You need to make that theme real to me. And I don't feel like that's what this movie does at all. I feel like there's a couple of things early on in the movie where they do talk about race in Boston. They show the the documentary footage. You've got the voiceover from Jack. And then you've also got DiCaprio mentioning something to his cadet buddy about being black and right, Boston. Right, right. Like you got a hard enough or whatever, just being black and Boston. So you give, you give me those three things in the first 10 minutes of the movie and then don't do anything with race for the entire movie. Right. It seems like an oversight. And the one thing that I can kind of come up with, if you were going to try to find a way into this topic is that why does he choose the cop that he does to reveal himself to at the end? Anthony Anderson. Yeah. So he has Anthony Anderson meet him on the rooftop when he's going to arrest Matt Damon. And he says, you know me. And I was almost thinking, like, is this sort of, without saying it, he chose him because he knows he's never going to be fully accepted in the police force anyway. So he's he's kind of going to be a liminal character anyway because of the racism in Boston. This is the guy that, that is not going to be fully in on, you know, team cop or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but I feel like I'm almost, I'm almost sort of talking myself out of that because I feel like if that was the story that you're going to tell, you got to give me more Anthony Anderson in this film. Right. 
Yeah. So anyway, so, that would be my tweak. Yeah, and I I think also it's like I think the one other aspect of it is Scorsese may have had no interest in making a movie about uh, race relations in Boston, but to not show racism in Boston would be to not show Boston. <laughs> okay. All right. I get it. I mean, I did. Uh, it does establish Jack as just a wholly evil character from the beginning, and I think that there's something there's something about Jack's charisma that even if he is playing Satan. You kind of like Satan when right. he's playing that role. And I think maybe Scorsese is like, you're not going to like this guy. I'm going to make sure you do not like this guy. Right? Did Were there any cliches, tropes, or devices that you liked in this film? Um, I think I am a sucker for the uh, the deep undercover. Sure. You know, I, I, because I, uh, I think I like, I like the spiral more than you. Um, in fact, I know I do. Uh, so um, watching somebody lose themselves on on screen, I think is always I, I always enjoy that. I'm kind of fascinated by that. Baldwin with a, a Boston accent, probably another trope I enjoy. <laughs> Baldwin has had a few really, really funny lines in this film. Steve, was this movie better, worse or on par with a Ron Howard film? Uh, I would say the overwhelming majority of it, I would have get, I'd give a Howard plus four. Uh, the rat scene is a Howard minus twelve. So this is a Howard minus eight. If taken <laughs> well, together, well, you got it. You have to do like an aggregate. You know, you got to like factor in the screen time of the rat. Ah, uh, got it, got it. I see. So, so the screen time of the rat was sort of like a twenty seconds in a two two and a half hour movie. Yeah, so, so it, it really still, this, doesn't. This still comes out as like a, a Howard plus uh, plus like yeah three point eight or something like that. Right, right. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm gonna say I, I like Howard plus four on this, and I th- I feel like it's high. I almost I'm tempted to go maybe a little Howard Howard plus three or something like that. So we're kind of in the same ballpark here. Just, the acting is the. I mean, how, how do you? The acting is really amazing. It is. A, it's a joy to watch from that perspective, right? I mean, like there's, um, there's like I, I'd say the dialogue. This is where the, I think the acting raises the dialogue. I think there's some good dialogue, but um, it's it's definitely helped by the performances. Is there a half the battle one to Gron moment in this film? Yeah, just let 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 Jack bring his props whenever. <laughs> you can't you can't go wrong with Jack Nicholson bringing his own props. Yeah, he's sort of like a, a macabre carrot top. <laughs> Steve, we haven't done uh, iTunes reviews in a while. I don't know if you've been keeping up with our iTunes reviews. I didn't know we were still on this podcast. <laughs> we are. And we do appreciate iTunes reviews. We got our first really bad review. I thought it would be oh. really fun to read it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I, I just have to say, I, I like to think that the person's still listening just to see if we'll read the review. No. Um, this review is one star. It's from mm. Arn Disney. A-R-N Disney. Mm. Uh, I don't know what that... I mean, is it? Is this just Bob Iger? Is that what... <laughs> if we take a shot at a, at a Disney production. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, 
Oh, maybe we did. Maybe it was a uh, white man can't jump. We said that it had kind of a Disney ending or something. Mm. So this this uh, reviewer says boring. That's the title oh. of the uh, boring one star, literally boring and not fun. I think we know the age of this person <laughs> just by the use of the word literally. Yeah. Uh, the hosts think that they're hilarious. Dot, dot, dot. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're wrong. We do think we're hilarious. I don't understand. <laughs> How are you arguing with that? Had to change the name because it was too hard to spell. Hashtag fail. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> so I first I thought they were young, but the very fact that they're still doing hashtag uh commentary like that's, that's well this is even worse this is a <laughs> i thought for sure this was one of our kids but this might be one of our parents this is a baby boomer who is trying desperately to fit in with uh gen z <laughs> this is awesome i love that so anyway bob Iger, if you're listening i would recommend <laughs> listening to whatever podcast that you did not like another 20 times because i guarantee you that we will raise the bar from boring to mediocre. Oh, yeah. I I, I'll, I stand yeah, by that. Yeah. So, White Man Can't Jump, just listen to that podcast in there 19 times, and I think we're good. I think, I think we've solved that. Yeah, no cap. <laughs> um, all right. And then we got a good review. Uh, this is from... The same person. B. <laughs> Roar. The title of the review is Perfect Pop Culture Nonsense. I think that summarizes us. Ooh. Five stars. These guys crack me up. Perfect listening on a Monday to get me laughing and in a good mood for the week. It's been fun to learn about the other podcasts that they're a part of. Can't wait for more. I prefer that one, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The other one was pretty funny. Um, literally. Literally funny. Along the lines of pop culture nonsense, I'd like to ask you about your new purchase. Ah, yeah. Well, it all kind of, I think it all kind of ties in with today's movie, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe not, well, thematically, but in terms of where I went. Well, no, I think that there's a lot of connections. Uh, you know, the, the werewolf theme okay. connecting with, Nicholson, uh, Nicholson, you know, there's just a lot there. So let, let's start at the beginning. You've been thinking about a new tattoo. Well, I've been thinking about a tattoo. I have right, no right, tattoos. Right. You were uh, thinking about yeah. your first tattoo. Well, and and uh, and talking to uh, people in the tattooed community, and please uh, feel free to chime in and, and email us and uh, if, you, if you're inked and, uh, and you want to talk about it. Like there's a lot of emphasis put on that mm -hmm. first one, right? Um, and then you know, as people uh, get more, I think it becomes a little bit more like, yeah, whatever, you know. Uh, you not that it's not important, but like I think in some cases you you feel like you can have a little bit more like take a little more liberties once you've once you've already sort of broke the ice. Mm -hmm. Because um, when you do the first one, you think maybe this will be the only thing that I ever do, right? And this is sort of this single tattoo will define me for the rest of my life. Right. If I get no other tattoo, then this is then the message I'm sending is this is all I ever needed for this. And this is the message. I Yeah, this is this is this your is second tattoo is a I lot am. like your second child. You're like, mm, mm, whatever. 
Yeah, I can. I'll just have another one if this one doesn't work out. Um, so like, I probably I don't know if you know this about me, but I I, I had been talking about a tattoo probably since middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as one does, right? When you're in middle school, you like you think to yourself like, oh man, I want to get something like real. Well, cool, what was your you know, first like idea for a tattoo? <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, when yeah. I was young. Uh, something from Looney Tunes, but like it, it, I wanted it to be like a more obscure right. character, like like not a regular. Like it was like maybe the um like the chicken uh, hawk. Yeah, yeah. I got a good friend who has a wily e. coyote. That's nice, and he's holding up one finger. And I was like, "What's the tattoo about?" He's like, he puts up one finger when he gets a little light bulb and says, "Super genius." Uh, so anyway, oh. he went with the talking. It, it's, it was a it was a brave move. That is that's that's probably the the least embraced of the of the <laughs> Wiley Coyote uh, iterations is the one. So you talks. were thinking something along the lines of Foghorn Leghorn? Is that what you were thinking? Well, the chicken hawk that went oh, after yeah, him, yeah, you yeah. know the little guy. So that was that was like not right, you know, not super obvious, but like you know, recognizable. So that was kind of mm-hmm. where I was at, right? And. uh and time went on and like then i just got to a point where i like i even incorporated like the idea of getting a tattoo in my act because it's like i just it's like i would just spend i get buyer's remorse before i buy something kind of thing you know i just can't uh like i can't i couldn't even like i won't even get a bumper sticker because that just seems too permanent you know i'm like you know yeah coexist seems like a good idea but maybe i'm more racist than i give myself credit for what what if the day after you put coexist on your bumper you realize (laughs) I'm sort of alt-right deep down. Yeah, exactly. I just slap that thing on and then vote for DeSantis. And it's like, I don't know. I'm just, I just, I'm zigging and zagging all over. So, but then you get to a point where it was like, all right, I like, I, I like the show Ink Master. I really enjoy, like, I enjoy those kinds of uh, reality shows where um, like there's interesting art, but also like people's lives are being ruined. Sure. Yeah, I you get know, it. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but like, you know, they'll be like, they'll you'll take these artists and they all have to do uh they have to do tattoo styles that they maybe don't do. Um and I love the idea of like they're like, okay, today is like realistic portrait day, and then somebody gets a person that has no idea how to do a realistic portrait, and then they just have like this really like creepy looking version of their grandma on their on their thigh or something like that. That tickles me. Okay. Um all right. But I was like, yeah, you know, I just like I and it taught me a little bit more about like all the different styles and uh, artistry that goes into um, to tattoos. And so I kind of got to a point where I was like, well, as I got older, maybe it's less about what the tattoo is specifically and maybe more about the artist mm. behind it. If I'm OK with, you know, I'd like some color. I'd like it to be a little whimsical. I'd like it to at least, you know, not as I mean something, but be something I enjoy. Um, so watching Ink Master and always seemed to really enjoy one particular artist, uh, Kelly Doty. I really liked her, uh, kind of her new school stuff. She likes, she like she likes horror stuff, but she also really loves like eighties pop culture. And I just did a little bit of research on this this morning. So new school is an actual recognized style in the tattoo world. Right. Kind of like, uh, more kind of caricature-ish, uh, you know, like a lot of big eyes, kind of like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. So we got real, you know, kind of a whimsical take on something, right? Uh, I think it was, yeah, November of 2022. Um, Heather's like, well, why don't you just 
put an inquiry in to to her shop and see what that even means. Like, see what it takes, right? So, you know, I filled out the form and was like, yeah, why not, right? Let's, I had a little bit of wine in, on board. Let's go for it. <laughs> and didn't hear anything till March. March, I get an email. And with all a series of questions, like, what do you want? What is this? Blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. I just sort of threw a bunch of stuff, not a bunch, but like I threw some ideas down, then didn't hear anything. And then she closed her books for the shop. And then I was like, well, I guess that's kind of it, right? And then uh, August, I get an email again, like, hey, she's really excited about this idea. Can you hear some dates? And it was like the next month. And so I was like, oh, I got to, <laughs> I'm going to really, and it was like, oh, we're, we might actually have to do this. And I may have to fly to Salem, Massachusetts to to make it happen. So we had miles on the uh, on the Alaska account and just kind of just went for it. And you went and it was last uh, weekend, uh, this last week. So, uh, yeah, I got there and then uh, doing all the right things, you know, drinking lots of water, lubing up the arm and all that good stuff. And uh, ten and a half straight hours. One sitting. One sitting, one sitting, ten and a half. One hours. sitting, like still not even sure, like because I'm because I'm you know watching that show. I'm like, well, some people just pass out, or they're like, the their skin can't handle it. I'm like, what happens if I get there? <laughs> All the way to Salem, sit in the chair, and it and like she's like, yeah, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> Your body is you're no good. So that was, I think your body is your body's a a, a riding canvas. <laughs> exactly. She's like, have you seen this thing? I can't look at this for 10 hours. Uh, so I was, you know, and I hadn't even seen a design yet. Yeah. So, so I, I get there and I'm just like sitting there in the, at the, in the waiting room, just like, I don't even know what I'm about to sign up for. Uh, and I didn't know it was going to be that long. I thought it was going to be, I, I knew it would be long, but I was thinking maybe like six or seven hours, which still was a lot, right? I mean. Wait, you didn't, ha- you weren't settled on a, does that, you flew all the way to Boston. You were not uh-huh. yet settled on a design. Well, I, I knew what we were going to do. Okay. And because uh, she, I gave her some options and there was one she was really excited about. So I knew, I knew I was going to get Teen Wolf Duncan a basketball. Oh, my goodness. I had thrown out some ideas like, uh, you know, something Kurt Russell, John Carpenter related, maybe something Lost Boys. Um, But I, you know, the the Teen Wolf and the Lost Boys one, I figured like might be a little bit more in her wheelhouse, you know, got a little bit of the little bit of the horror aspect, but also some of that pop culture. And and when she was excited to do the the Teen Wolf one, I was excited to to basically just like I kind of just put it in her hands. I'm like, right. I mean, that's when I talked about like choosing the artist might have been at that point more important rather than me trying to design something or overly explain it. Um, and so she showed me the thing. And I was like, looks awesome. Let's go. Uh, and uh, and it was a long ten and a half hours. So we watched a bunch of movies. Uh, oh, you did. Very good. Yeah. What what movies did you watch? Well, initially Teen Wolf, and awesome. uh, then we started chatting about uh, various uh, films we like and uh, character actors. So then we started watching uh, Batman Returns, and we watched okay. Clue. Then we watched Rocky Horror Picture Show. We watched Labyrinth, then Beetlejuice, and then Cabin in the Woods. Okay. So that's interesting because. When I first saw your tattoo, which is a beautiful depiction of 
Teen Wolf, not dunking, but dribbling the basketball. He's got the ball in the air. He's got the ball. So I thought, initially I thought, why not have him dunking? And I thought that was, but that was your original idea. To have yeah, she she had said with when you're doing new school and like kind of like do these big big heads and you're dealing with like the hair, uh, it's it gets real convoluted. She's tried to do design like the dunk and it doesn't mm. it doesn't work out. So, so, I mean, he he could be he could be doing a sky hook. He could be doing a variety of things, but he's got the ball in the air at least. I like the idea of he's dribbling so badly. <laughs> that the ball is actually bouncing up near his head. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so, and the, the sweat drops, I think, are to me like the, the, the sweat big drops are added. wonderful. I, you know, he's got the full jersey. Oh, and you, t- you you were wearing the jersey as well. I was wearing the Yeah. So I got there and uh, since it's going on the shoulder, she's like, oh, I'll, I'll tape up your your shirt. And I said, well, would it be uh, easier if I was in a tank top? She's like, well, whatever makes more sense for you. And so I took off my shirt to reveal the Scott Howard Beavers basketball jersey she's like yeah that's that's way better you should do that and i do, <laughs> yeah i do like i do like you're wearing the jersey and getting the tattoo of the wolf wearing the jersey yeah so there's kind of like it, it why this design you know one i think it looks it looks pretty great i mean it's it's a pretty rad uh design uh but i like basketball as a sport probably uh my favorite sport to watch so there's a basketball aspect of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously there's the 80s, there's the horror, there is that Howard element. Um, you know, even the as a Warriors fan, I mean, even though he's it's his Beavers jersey, there's a, there's some Warriors uh, coloring in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so that's kind of fun. Um, the sweat is kind of like an homage to my to my wife. Um, because How much she famously she hates sweaty movies yeah right, right. So, and yeah, i no, and I, I know that the beaver is your spirit animal and that's so, true yeah. so that's that's important yeah no i was uh very very pleased with it um it's still wrapped up um and uh and they wrap it in like this thing called saniderm and uh it's like a second skin that sort of like keeps it um just you know keeps it from the elements and it as it's oozing because it'll ooze out it's it's like your body's trying to uh-huh. fight off this infection or what it perceives as such um and i'm walking around in salem and it is really humid and i'm we're getting ready to get our uber to the airport and we're actually getting picked up outside of the gallery because it's kind of a, a centralized place to, and so I'm reading up on like aftercare and all this stuff. And one of the things that says like, Oh, if you got the Saniderm on, you know, make sure you're not um, sweaty. And I'm like, wow, I'm drenched in sweat. So I take off my sweater and this thing has breached and I am just oozing all over myself, (laughs) all over the sweater. And our our lift is like three minutes away. I'm like, ah, crap. And so I, I, I pop into the, the gallery. I'm like, hey, can, do you have like something I can wipe this up with? And they go, everyone, like it just like almost like alarms were going off. Like, yeah, you're not you're not getting on a plane. <laughs> but we fixed jeez. this. Oh, jeez. Uh, so they're like they completely unwrap me and they, uh, they're like cleaning it off and they go, okay, this part's going to suck. And then they just take a big old gauze full of alcohol and just wipe it. Holy Ugh. Lord, uh, that was probably of, of 10 and a half hours 
there was not any pain that was quite like that. It was like peeing on fire all over again. Oh my! Like it was so painful that I just started laughing because like my body was like, well, we don't know what to do. Um, but they said, yeah, they're all because you're going to get on a plane and then the pressure is going to also uh, yeah. wreak havoc on it. And so, Dang. wrap it up real tight. Um, I get on the plane and sh- sure enough, like probably like three hours into the flight, I can feel it. My God, no! So at least it was manageable. But yeah, we patched it when I got home. So now it's. It's like it's in its own cocoon.